Welcome to the OA Light a Candle podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you will find several speaker feeds with over 800 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. The opinions expressed on the Light a Candle podcast are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. I, will out, I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight. I've uh, learned from his wisdom for at least a decade, and I've heard his jokes for that much amount of time. <laughs> John Kay, come on up. Thanks, Lori. Uh, I'm John, compulsive overeater, among other things. I want to uh, thank you for asking me to speak, and, and congratulations, welcome. I promise you, we won't bite. Um, we can't, but, and not absent. Um, and I really want to say how much I was happy to be here for this. I had no idea it was a pleasant surprise. So um, it's really strange because I haven't. Sp- I ended up speaking at the last minute at, at Kitchen Sink a couple weeks ago, but I, I haven't spoken for two, three years, something like that. And so much has happened, you know, not only to the world, but uh, to me and how much things have changed. And I also didn't go to a lot of meetings during a lot of COVID. Uh, because what happened is, uh, shortly before COVID started, uh, I had gone back to school to change careers and became a drug and alcohol counselor. And then, just as you know, just as I'm really getting going on that, COVID hits. And I am on Zoom all day. <laughs> and I just had such trouble going on to meetings at night. And it just seemed like, you know, Buston's holiday. And so I really didn't go to a lot of meetings. Um, it, I was having no problems. I was speaking to some people on the phone. Uh, and and that was okay. I just needed a break. And, and I can say I've slowly started to reintegrate myself now that meetings are coming back face-to-face. I, I don't you know, begrudge anybody from Zoom meetings. I just know for me, I really prefer being in person because that's, you know, I had 40 years of that, (laughs) you know. Um, Just to go over some numbers, I've been abstinent for 27 years. I have been in OA and also sober in AA for 40 years, and I'm maintaining about a 105-pound weight loss. So just so you know, (laughs) these things actually do work. I have no idea what I'm going to talk about. I used to have like a spiel down, and you know, Jeff could probably mouth the words, and I, I don't want to do that anymore. Um, I have, I found myself thinking about it today. I came up a little early, get a soda and things, and how much has changed and how much I can look and be grateful for OA and for the 12 steps um, as to how much things have changed. OA helped me you know, lose, you know, the hundred and something pounds off my body and the 12 steps, you know, I think it helped me lose like a thousand pounds off my shoulders, you know, um, and change the way I look at life. And I'm so, so much more of a happy person now, so much more of a mellow person, so much more of a, you know, a chill person, you know. I've been out here for 25 years, and I've slowly learned to not drive like a New Yorker, which isn't easy. <laughs> uh, but... I, uh, this place I work at now, it, it, it is not purely drug and alcohol. It also has uh, mental illness things, and we have, you know, all kinds of people. And a lot of them are young. We have a lot of people who are like 25 years old. And I see so much of myself in every one of them with anxiety and depression and all these things. That And they 
come from mostly really privileged families, which, again, goes to show you it doesn't matter how much money is in your bank account. If you're not a happy person, you're going to have all those things. And I thought about, I would think every day about being that way, being that person with, you know, crippling anxiety and horrible depression and eating just to numb the pain. And um, and I'm just so glad I'm not that way anymore. And I'm a much more happy person. And I, the funny thing is, having got in this business, I get involved with various, you know, therapeutic disciplines and every one of them when I you know start looking at the the stuff and I'm going okay well that's 12 step that's 12 step that's 12 step so much of it in one way or another it's restated things like acceptance you know like the stuff we learn and um it, it makes a big difference. Uh, just because of the newcomer here, I'll go over a quick thing about my, my food. And hey, let me know when I'm about five after. I think I'm, I always talk too long. I just assume maybe there's some questions today. Um, I have, um, I grew up with two alcoholic parents. Uh, they divorced. I was back and forth between them. Um, and I learned some really bad habits for them. Uh, various things like don't talk about emotion, you know. And because my my upbringing was so crazy, I shut my emotions off totally because I, I couldn't deal with the craziness that was going on at home and still go to school and just be a kid. So the emotions just went off. And it wasn't hard because there wasn't a heck of a lot of emotions in my family. Anyway, everybody, you know, we'll speak about the Yankees and we'll speak about politics, but, you know, that's about it. Um, and the other thing I got from them was uh, I would watch them get upset. And when they got upset, they would say something like, I need uh, something, fill in the blank. I need a cigarette. I need a drink. I need a pill. And at a very early age, the message I got was, oh, if I don't like how I'm feeling in here, there's something out there I can put in. And for me at that age, it was food, you know. And we moved a lot. Uh, the only thing that's a consistent thing is you can find junk food anywhere. I think at the top of Mount Everest, there's probably some. And But it was when you moved, as many times as I moved as a kid, and I mean, I remember I moved like six times in the sixth grade. Um, the only constant was that. It was the only friend that I had. It was the only long-term relationship I had. And so I ate and I ate and I was the fat kid in school and uh, got all the fun that comes with that, like, you know, getting taunted constantly, getting called every name in the book, being beat up because I'm fat. And uh, I was also the gifted child. So I was a really smart, I was the smart kid who screwed up the curve on everybody. And um, I let you know how smart I was because that was the only thing that made me feel good was to know I was a smart person. And... Uh, and it didn't accomplish anything. It made me feel a little better, but it was all, you know. I look at all of these things that are considered character defects now, and I, I, tend, to, I tend to call them defense mechanisms. These were things that got me through life, you know. In, in, in technical terms, it's called maladaptive behaviors. But these were things I did that helped, or we wouldn't have done them, you know. But all of those things, all those character defects, if I go down and I keep scraping or peeling the onion, comes down to the fact that I didn't feel good enough. I wasn't good enough for you. I wasn't as good as you. I wasn't all kinds of things as you. And it was particularly important that you not see that I was less than you. And so all of these crazy you know, things that I did that I had to come in and deal with in a sixth and seventh step, well, in a fourth step too, um, were as a result of growing up in that crazy childhood. Um, 
I got to high school. I was the fat kid in school at high school, and I had no girlfriend. I didn't go to the prom. I hung out with all the other geeks who nobody liked, and that's how I went. I dealt with life. I was like a super rebel. You know, I grew up when everybody was coming to school with jeans on, and I would come in with a, a jacket and tie. You know. <laughs> I would call every teacher by their first name, except my psych teacher who wanted to be called by her first name, so I didn't call her by her first name. But all of that rebel, that, that stuff, was about the fact that I didn't feel good enough. And since I didn't feel good enough, the only way I could make that work in my brain, because I always say the smarter you are, the, the more convoluted the head games have to get with yourself. Um, the reason I did that was I didn't feel good enough, but I felt if I took the... If I took the initiative to be different, then it was okay. It was me doing it. When If I had dressed like everybody else, I'd have just been there feeling shitty because I'm less than. Um, so the food did a lot for me. And I didn't drink all the way through high school. because, And it was a party high school because I saw what my parents did. I was, I was smart, so I wasn't going to become like them. But in the, um, I guess my senior year, you know, I'm a teenage boy full of hormones, want to meet the opposite sex, except I'm also heavy. Um, but I got invited out and had a drink, and there was this magic elixir that allowed me to talk to women. <laughs> you know, I don't know if anybody watched Big Bang, but there used to be a character, and that was me, I swear. Uh, I couldn't drink. So I then went on a thing for alcohol for about seven years, and that's a different program, and I won't go into it too much, other than to say I went zero to 60 with alcohol, and it was the first time in my life I was able to lose weight. And essentially because I changed how I got my sugar into the liquid form. And I also went into crazy dieting and crazy exercise. Um, because, again, anything worth doing is worth overdoing. And that's all I know how to do. And, um, and, and I lost weight. But I also lost weight in the most unhealthy way possible, which is to not eat for a week at a time and then binge like one night, like a Saturday night, and then not eat for a week at a night. And, you know, if you're a 19-year-old boy with a metabolism of a hummingbird, you know, you will lose weight. Not a very healthy thing. But I can look back now and know there was a part of me that knew there was no dimmer switch. It was only off and on. And the only way I could keep weight off was to keep it off as long as I humanly could until it went on again. And I mean, on one level, I was admitting I was powerless long before I came here. Um, the fast forward, I got down to a normal weight. I dated and had her with my first relationship, and then alcohol took over. I went, you know, lost the relationship, gained all my weight back, ended up, you know, in a, in a, a detox in on Christmas week of 1980. I remember that. Um, and then I... I I was sure I, I couldn't stand AA. It had all this religious stuff. I wasn't going to be part of that. And um, But I hit a bottom. I hit a bottom. I had no other things. Because I told myself, if this rehab doesn't work, I'm offing myself. That's it. Well, the rehab didn't work. Because as soon as I got out, I went and drank. And then it's like, okay, what are you going to do? So I went to the meeting uh, the next day. It was a Sunday morning. And I don't know. Uh, the thing that happened, I remember, was I was arguing at the meeting it was, this was when we were putting away chairs, and um, the guy is saying to me, and I'm saying, I can't, you know, I have trouble, it's a religious program. And he's like, no, it's a spiritual. And I said, no, it isn't. Look, you see, God, 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 him, him, him. Um, and he looked at it, and he said, okay, leave it out, <laughs> you know? And I'm like, what? He says, just leave it out, leave it out, don't worry about it, don't let that be a reason to head out the door. 
you know, you can be here until you're 110. Nobody's going to ever make you believe anything or what you have to believe. The one thing he said is, hey, just try and keep an open mind. Just just a little, okay? And because that weight was off, I, I got into the, it really got sober for a while and pink cloud in the nine, you know, whole nine yards. But then I started doing my crazy weight loss again in AA and Mike just couldn't handle it all and I had a relapse in AA. Didn't last that long, but when I came back, by then, you know, if you're in one 12-step program, you start finding out about all the other ones you got to be in. <laughs> Maybe not in, but you're, you should be. Um, and I heard about OA, and I was pretty sure I needed to be there. And when I came uh, to my first AA, my first OA meeting, I just, all of a sudden, the light bulb went off. This is it. This is why my great brain power is of no use with this, you know. I always talk about how... The problem with this disease is the insanity they talk about in the second step is so specific. We can all be incredibly, you know, competent in all these other areas of our life, except this one area, and it finally hit me. That's because our disease, to use a computer term, our disease corrupts the data coming into our good decision maker on this one, comp this one area. And that's why if you read the big book, you see the story about Jim putting whiskey in the milk and thinking it's a perfectly good idea, right? Well, you know, we all laugh about that. But, you know, if you think about it, I bet I know who laughed too, Jim. <laughs> Just not until the next day, right? How many of us have done stuff and we get up the next day and go, what the hell was I thinking, right? And so I fell in love with OA. Um, I started doing really well. Um, I, uh, my sponsor went out, and I'm like, oh, it's okay, I'll, uh, I'll, you know, I'm an AA, so I'll just, I can, I can work without a sponsor, and then I got into stand-up comedy, and I was working during the day to pay the bills and doing comedy at night, and all of a sudden, there was no room for OA, and, but because I understood now, I just need to, you know, follow my food plan, and that lasted for a while, lasted maybe a year, and then I dropped off, and I mean dropped off badly, and, um, you know, I, I mean, it finally got that this is such a subtle disease. It'll, it'll end patient. It'll just keep waiting. And um, I, it took a long time to get back. And um, and uh, even then, I came back, but I was, I still slipped and slid. I moved out here to L.A. and I, I was still slipping and sliding. It's probably the most miserable time of my life because I knew better. You know, once you're here, it just screws up your eating forever. And I knew better, and I remember I was the secretary of a meeting in that Hollywood called Artist in Abstinence, and I was secretary of that meeting. Uh, I had a sponsor. I was a sponsor. I was a delegated in the group, and yet I would leave that meeting and stop at the donut shop on the way home. And I'd be like, what the hell am I doing, you know? I, I'm, not, I'm not sentenced to be here if I don't want to be here. But that's that, you know, they talk about pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. I just, I didn't get it, I, you know. And um, so what finally happened is as I went to another program that I needed to. It was a very strict program. And I needed to be there because of my sort of immaturity. Uh, I had trouble with OA because I'm like, well, if she gets to eat that, I want to eat that. And if he wants to eat, he gets to eat that. And I went somewhere where everybody ate the same, and it worked for a while. But I really needed to get into the steps more, and I hadn't done that. And that's the thing that changed. Um, I, that's when I, my abstinence really started, and, and 
the real growth started then when I started to do the work. You know, before I always joked I was in two OAs. The first OA was the one where all, it's all about coming to meetings. It's about going out for fellowship afterwards, getting on the phone, gossiping about people. But no, in big book or, you know, that kind of, that's for those old farts, you know. <laughs> yeah. And, but then I got into it and, uh, and I started working and I I'll also put in a, a big plug for therapy. Um, I found that the steps did an awful lot for me and they helped me from one direction in terms of keeping the food down and doing well there and seeing about how it affects me now in day-to-day -day stuff, but therapy helped me work out why I had been doing stuff for a long time. And the two of them together just, they changed my life, you know? And I look now and, and I realize I'm, I'm so much happier, you know? I mean, all the, you know, I... We talk in groups all the time about the inner critic, you know. Um, I had a sponsor for a sponsee for a while. <clears throat> a couple of people probably remember little Gary, and he. Uh, I was sponsoring him, and we were talking one day about that negative voice in our heads, and he called it a radio station. He called it KFUCK. on all the time, all negative. Everything you do is wrong. Everything's less than, and I could so identify with that that I had so much. <sighs> I don't know. I, I still had horrible self-esteem. You know, uh, there's a lady uh, who does these talks, and she talks about self-compassion rather than self-esteem. And she said the difference is self-esteem is you comparing yourself up to, to perfection. And, you know, if we do that, we're all screwed, right? What she says is essentially grade yourself on the human curve, you know? The idea, you know, I heard the phrase self-love, and again, being, being, I have the triple triple threat of cynicism. I'm an alcoholic comedian from New York, okay? So anything that's said that sounds the slightest bit woo-woo, I'm just the king of the eye rolls. And when I heard the phrase self-love, I'm like, oh, God help me, you know? But what I see now is what it is is self-acceptance. It's about accepting I'm a human being, and I'm never going to be perfect. And I love to be perfect. I try to be, but I'm not, and it's okay. And that's that sort of self-acceptance, you know? I've, uh, I've said I think we're all like these little kids running around in adult suits, right? And none of us got the manual. None of us got the manual on how to do life. And so we're spending our lives in an endless series of trial and error, trial and error, trial and error. And my error sometimes affects you and hurts you, and your error affects me and hurts me. And I beat myself up for every one of those errors instead of realizing that's, you know, sort of the human condition. And, and you know, I just have to accept. And that's part of the stuff I talk about now in psychological terms, but it's right there in the big book. It's all about acceptance, you know, accepting life as it comes, accepting people, you know, the... The first three steps, once you've been around for a while, the first three steps, um, as you can see on the wall if you're new, is, is really about getting abstinence. It's about admitting you're powerless over the food. Your life's unmanageable. Uh, you know, I always like to flip two around and say, I'm insane, I need help. And the third is, okay, I need help, I'm going to ask somebody to help me. That's the shorthand for people who have trouble with the higher power thing. Um, but when you get to a certain amount of time in program, it is about, I am powerless over people, places, and things. I still got a nutty brain, and I still need help, you know, and um, that hasn't changed, you know, and um, it's just, it's amazing that some of the stuff, 
that I'm, I do now. It's just so 12-step oriented. I'm just a master at not saying it in a 12-step language. <laughs> you know, I try to explain to, to the people, and there's so, so many of them are just torn up by various things over which they have no control, you know. And I don't want to use a serenity prayer on them, but it is so funny and this one thing that has to do with cognitive behavioral therapy, they'll say, make a list of the things over which you have control and make a list over the things you don't. And I'm going, okay, serenity prayer, okay? You know, deal with it, okay? You know, if you have trouble, lose the word prayer and lose the word God off the front, and it's that. It is, okay, what are the things I have control over and what don't I have control over? You know, and I, t- I spent so much time focusing on the things I didn't have control over that I didn't do the things I could have, you know, well, about myself, you know. And um, I really started doing that. And in, in the acceptance, um, I was, I, I have to speak tomorrow at 5.30 in the morning. I'm doing this special edition for Vision for You. And uh, I was writing a thing, I was talking about acceptance and how... I explained to people that I, you know, where I work, that acceptance is actually a very selfish thing. Selfish in the good definition of the word selfish, meaning it's good for me. It's self-care. Because whatever it is I'm having to deal with acceptance-wise is almost undoubtedly something I don't like, right? Nobody's sitting there going, oh, I can't believe I have to accept the fact they hit the lottery, <laughs> right? It's going to be something that's either a situation's not good or, uh, you know, something that's happened with a person and all that. And it's always going to be something over which I have no control. Most times things in the past, so I can't do anything about them anyway. And it's really frustrating because I don't have the control. And whatever it is, it doesn't care about me. It doesn't care that I'm walking around with a knot in my stomach. It doesn't care if I'm, you know, every time I think of whatever it is, I'm gritting my teeth. I'm the one who gets to decide, okay, I'm tired of this. You're not going to live rent-free in my head anymore. You're not going to, you know, somebody said something really hurtful to me last week, and it really hurt, and it was wrong, and... They hurt me on a Tuesday, but I hurt me from Wednesday on, you know, because I just kept bringing it up and bringing it up. And once I was able to realize that and to put it in a different way, you know, it sort of changed things. I still don't, you know, I was told acceptance doesn't mean you like it, doesn't mean you condone it, it doesn't mean, you know, you agree with it. You just say, I'm sorry, you're not worth staying in my head for another minute. You know, um, I deserve better. And, and I'm letting it go. And that whole idea of acceptance, and when it's, um, you know, when it's a personal thing with acceptance, the, the other word is forgiveness, you know, to say, okay. And then the other thing about accepting your humanity is you start to accept everybody else's humanity. You start to realize they're little kids in adult suits running around trial and error. And that, you know... It's different. We used to, well, in AA, we still do. We still read the Lord's Prayer, and people have problems with it here, and I'm not going to get in the debate on that. Other than the fact, I'm really sorry we lost the one phrase that was really important to me. You know, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive others. In other words, if I want you to accept my craziness, I've got to accept your craziness and realize you're a human being just like I am. And when I can do that, I just, I don't know, I lead a happier life. I lead an easier life. I, I'm married, and, and any given day, anybody who's married will know you've got to work on forgiveness. <laughs> you've got to learn on uh, acceptance. And, and, yeah, and it's happened. 
and the thing I want to say, you know, about, you know, especially the person who's new is, if this was just about the weight, we'd all do it and leave. It's about losing the weight and being happy, you know? And the trouble with drugs and alcohol and food, uh, I, I mistook euphoria for happiness, you know? We can all have a time where it feels good. If you eat something, you know, it'll feel good for a little while, but it's not going to be the long-term happiness. And I think a lot of that comes from working on the steps, you know? Um, again, I, how much time were, where are we time-wise? Okay, another couple minutes. Um, I'm writing this thing about, about the steps, and I'm ex- trying to explain, especially to the newcomers, is that, you know, this... This fourth step thing they have you do is not about you know it's not about just trying to sell a lot more pads or whatever you use to do your thing. It's about cleaning the garbage out. Clean the garbage out that was part of the engine that drove me to do this. If I don't feel good about myself, I'm you know there's going to be a part of me that's fighting myself all the time about being abstinent. And um, once I was able to get that out, and then turn it over with a fifth step. I mean, I walked out of the first time I did a fifth step just like walking on air because I realized, okay, I just left in there John 1.0. All the stuff I regretted and didn't like that I can't... You know, there's a... I'll just real quick, there's a woman I know, she's a, a couples therapist, and I joke with her that she, uh, her job is to teach people how to fight. <laughs> it isn't really, but it's about communication and stuff. And she always says, the cheapest cheap shot a person can bring up in an argument with another person is the past. Because there's nothing that person can do about it, and it just makes you maybe feel a little better, but it's a really shitty thing to do, bringing up the past. And I realize the same is true for us. When we look at ourselves, it's a really shitty thing to spend a lot of time beating yourself up over the past because, you know, there's nothing you can do about it. We never turn around and look at all the good things we did, you know, because that won't reinforce what the negative stuff we already have, you know. It, and so to just try and be a little easier on yourself. And when it got to the fifth step, that really helped. And then I think I sort of jumped over six and seven to get on with amends, which, you know, heck, I think Bill did too because there was only two paragraphs in the big book on six and seven. Um, but now, to me, those are the most important ones to constantly keep looking at my my things, which, again, I don't like the phrase character defects. The, these were defense mechanisms. These were things that worked, and now they're not working, and I need to change them. And all I can do, I always say this, this seventh step where it talks about, you know, you know God releasing them, I, I believe... I can't just expect God to be the defect fairy and take him away. I have to do my part. You know, my feeling is if every time I do something that I don't, that I shouldn't do, I go, okay, I really don't want to do that. Eventually, it'll get up, you know, 80% of the time I won't do it, and then 90, and then 95, and my higher power will decide when it's 100, you know, but I got to do my part. And then amends, I made a lot of amends, and I made them genuinely. There's a few I can't. And, and But I did the best I could. And then 10, I've always been really good at. That was like the first one I was able to do well, which is to say, you know, I come from this thing of when I was younger, I would go out of my way because I, you know, being wrong was almost like abhorrent to me. And now to just go, 
I'm really sorry I fucked up. You know, I had that with 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 a fellow in this program who had a big problem with her health, and I didn't. She had sent a letter out, and I hadn't read the whole letter and didn't know, and then I had to make amends, and, and it really it was bad because it was a really. I mean, I didn't do it deliberately, but it it really hurt her, you know, and so I had to to take care of that as soon as I found. I, mean, I knew it was part of me that you know this is what the instant addict will do. As soon as I realize what I did, okay, I know what I can do. I can tell her this, and I can tell her this, and I can tell And I go, no. You know, you're supposed to be in recovery. What do you do? You suck it up and say, I fucked up. And and it wasn't easy, because it's somebody I really care about. And But it made a difference. And then the idea of continually working on, on a contact with a higher power, it's important. It's important for me to know I'm not the center of the universe. You know, that the I'm here, and I'm a part of, you know, and it's just fine that way. And then 12, trying to, to, first of all, to, you know, to carry the message to others, and, you know, some of the people in this room know how much service I've done, and I, I was saying to Jeff before, I said, I'm, I'm pretty much done except for meeting. Uh, I can tell you, I know I've done my share, <laughs> you know, but... I will always be there if somebody, you know, I had somebody call me from a, from a rehab yesterday, uh, a, you know, a food rehab and wanted to talk. Uh, so I do that. And then 12, and to me, it all comes down to this, you know, I can sit here and give you the greatest talk ever. If I, if I leave here and as I'm driving away, I give somebody the finger, I kick a dog, I yell at my wife, then it's all just bullshit, isn't it? <laughs> you know? But I try and live this program. And I live it imperfectly, but I, I do it to the best of my ability, you know? And, uh, you know, I, I'll just tell a quick story and then I'm going to stop. I'm going to see if it's open. There, I, I was the speaker getter here for the, like a year. I, when we first started doing, I, I sort of set up the podcast. And I wanted to get all these people because I knew this was going out to the country. And having been around the country as a comedian, I knew how, how bad OA was in a lot of places. I don't mean bad, but not strong. And I wanted all these great people. And there was one guy... Uh, I won't mention him. He's a big shot lawyer. Some people know who I'm talking about. I go to him and I say, "I need you to speak, man. I need you." And he goes, "When is it?" I said, "5:30 Saturday night." And he goes, "I can't do that, man." I said, "He said I promised my wife Saturday nights are hers." And I go, "Well, that's it." Practicing your principles. What are you going to do? You're going to say, you're going to say, screw my wife. I'm going to come speak and tell you what a wonderful program I'm doing. No, he he was to me the embodiment of okay, that makes sense. And so, anyway, uh, this is what's worked for me. It's it's not just putting down the food. It is putting down the food. Putting if you don't put down the food, all the rest of the stuff is is just sort of you know, you know, I don't know, elementary, but not going to help. Uh, and then working these steps and looking at the book and figuring out this stuff and it will make you happier. It'll make you, it'll keep you abstinent. You will take care of the weight problem you came in for. But way more importantly is, is you'll be happy. You'll hopefully exercise a lot of the demons you may have and turn around and be able to help others. So anyway, I'll stop right there. I don't know if we have any more time for, for sharing or anybody questions or anything like that. <laughs> Jeff's like... <laughs> So I guess I have a few minutes. Does anybody have any questions? Yes, go ahead. Thank you so much. Um, could you talk more about um, how you um, decided to make a career change and then um, what helped you know find your path mm -hmm. uh, making that change and how your program and higher power uh, played into that? Sure. I'm pretty much in my third career. Uh, I, I mean, I sort of did one a little before I got sober, but... Um, 
I was a comedian for 15 plus years, and then because I had done computer geek stuff, I moved into computer programming, which I did. It made a living, but I really wasn't exactly, uh, you know, it wasn't a passion. And some of my business was starting to go down. I could have gone, made a lot of changes, worked on it, and I just like, I just don't want to do that. I'm not. And I said, you know, I've been, you know, you know, this has helped me. It saved my life. I, the, the 12 step has saved my life on at least two different substances. And, and anything I can do to help that, I'm going to do. So I went back to school, went to LMU, and, and got my thing to be a drug and alcohol counselor and went to work. Now, ironically, I was hoping to be in a place that was pure 12 step because then I could just my experience, strength, and hope. But both the places I've been have been with, you know, sort of ecumenical. We we offer this and we offer smart recovery and refuge recovery. I I push in the slight lightest way I can, you know, um, my my feelings and I sometimes use the words, change the words so that it's a little more acceptable. Especially when it comes to, you know, higher power and God. But for me, it was just like I knew. I knew. I, I mean, here's what it is. I, at my age, I'm like, what do you want to do for the rest of your life? Do you want to have a job that you go Ugh, every morning and, and you don't want? Or do you want to try and find something you look forward to? And I mean, and I see people that start out one way and they end up another. Look, it's still a big failure rate. But I do see people who, whose lives are turned around, just like my life turned around. And... I don't know, it was just sort of there all along, and it was just like one of those go off, sit, and just, you know, you know what they say, prayer is talking to God, meditation is listening, well, go somewhere and just listen, listen to what it is, you know, you're meant to do, you know, I hope that helps, yeah, any other, quiet today, Hi. yeah, go ahead, Marisa, um, thank you so much for your share, great, um, so you, you mentioned, being hurt by somebody on Tuesday, mm -hmm. and then Wednesday, from Wednesday on, you were hurting yourself. Yeah, how, that's, that was such a great analogy. I loved it. How did you? How do you let go of that hurt so that you don't do the Wednesday on? Yeah, like what's the process that you go through to let it go? Yeah, and can you repeat the question, please? Sure. Oh, that's right. I'm repeating the questions. Um, you know, it was asking, how do I work on the, the person who's hurt me on Tuesday? How do I let go of the hurt so it doesn't continue to hurt? Well, there's a couple of things. I know genuinely I don't ever do anything to personally hurt someone. And if somebody's personally hurting me, if you get a, a, a good enough feeling about yourself, if somebody does that, you know there's something wrong with them, not me. And, gee, I, I don't know why they're doing that. And yeah, it did hurt, and you know, everybody's a human being, oh, well, what can I do to him? I could call him something, but then, you know, I'm right down in his his dirt, right? Um, I also think of the thing that's in the big book, um, it's on, is a wonderful story near the back called Freedom from Bondage, and it talks about, you know, if you have a problem with somebody, you know, pray for them, or find a way, you know, to forgive, because, you know... You know, this, I'm working on another thing for the vision for you, and I said, well, one of the troubles that newcomers have when they hear the phrase acceptance is it sounds like a very passive act. Oh, this happened, i got to accept, I guess. It's actually a very active act. It's Again, it's like saying, no, you're not going to hurt me anymore. I am not going to allow it. You know, and I 
And, you know, and sometimes it's almost my obstinance <laughs> saying, no, okay, what you did was, you were a jerk. You were a jerk, and I'm not going to buy it anymore. And a lot of times when we get hurt, there's a part of whatever that person's saying that we're agreeing with in the back of our head, and we don't want to admit it. You know, if somebody says to me, John, you've got the ugliest green hair you've ever, I've ever seen, I'm going to laugh at him because I know what I want green hair. But if, you know, somebody says, hey, have you gained a little weight? <laughs> you know, like, you know, that kind of thing. And, and so to just find a way to let it go and just say, this is for me. You know, that guy's, you know, and not take it personally either. The other thing is I took so many things personally that I, I don't anymore because I realized maybe this guy's just a jerk to everybody and I just happen to be his latest victim and it'll happen to somebody else too. And again, I I would love to find the magic words to say to him so that he doesn't do it to other people, but I know, you know, powerless over people, places, and things. <laughs> and, and jerks. <laughs> Thanks. Anybody else? Yeah, John, I got a question. Sure, Lori. So, when that inadequacy, that inferiority, that makes not good enough, like, yeah. have you gone through a period where that it's like relentless? Mm. Yeah, a little. I, I can't control it. Mm -hmm. It's relentless. Uh, okay. Well, I'll, I'll, after a meeting, I'll talk to you and I'll send you something. Uh, but a lot of this has to do with how we're already feeling about ourselves. You know, there's a phrase in, in just in general called confirmation bias. And everyone's ever heard of it. it. You know, it's one of the reasons we're having a lot of problems right now. Everybody who thinks one political way watches this channel because it reinforces what they believe and the other ones go the other way. If you already feel shitty about yourself, you're going to find things that you've done or are doing that will help reinforce that you're shitty. You'll blow right past all the great things you're doing, right? And 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 part of that is is how do you break that, you know? And I know again, you know, being that that triple triple thread of cynicism, like one of the worst for me was hearing people talk about positive affirmations, you know. And I would say, Oh Jesus, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you want me to stand in front of a mirror and go, You're a good person, gosh darn it, and people love you, right? Um and it just was such bullshit. But then I thought, you know, I bought hook, line, and sinker every negative affirmation I ever had. And I, the, the thing I say a lot at, in my groups is I use the phrase, and it has, has to do with many things, we didn't come out of the womb with dot, dot, dot. You didn't come out of the womb with that. It, it came from somewhere. If it came from somewhere, it's a learned behavior that can be unlearned. But you got to work on it. And it means doing some stupid shit, like standing in front of a mirror and saying you're okay. Maybe not people like you, but you know what I mean. Anyway, thanks for letting me share.